Ephesians 5, 22 to 24. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. All right, you may be seated. I know you're thinking if you're visiting here, wow, what a day to come here. What a day. Trust me, I feel the same way. I know as you listen to that passage, you recognize that we are in the midst of a sticky situation. It really started last week, really started two weeks ago, uh, as we were dealing with what it was called, what it, what it is to be filled with the Spirit, to be people who are following Paul's command to be filled up with the Spirit. And the resulting work of that is a mutual submission. And then Paul comes to this point, this is such an important point to Paul, he doesn't break out the other two that he gave us about... Um, singing songs to one another and and praising God together. He doesn't break that out. He doesn't break out living a life of gratitude. But this point is so important that he gives us three lengthy illustrations, three lengthy expositions on how this works out in the Christian life. Now, if you're here and you're not married, don't tune out. Ladies, if you're single, don't tune out. It's it's not just for wives that, that are currently married. This is the reality. If you're a Christian woman and you plan to be married, This is God's plan for you. It's the truth. Young men, if you're not married and you don't have a wife, don't don't tune out. This is how you are to lead your wife. You'll hear me say it over and over again. This is you can't force her to this. You can't make her do it. In fact, if you make her do it, you're 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 living against what God intends in this in this passage. But the reality is, is that as you pray for your future wife, as you think of who she is, and as you begin to live your life with her in mind, the reality is this is this is the thing that you want for your wife. This is what you should want for her. You need to hear these words. But the reality is, is that there are principles of submission and servant leadership that are applied here that Paul didn't just come to this place and command us to submit ourselves to one another and then go into these specific relationships thinking that it doesn't apply to everyone. There are principles that apply across the board and something for everyone as you come today. Let me just, let me not let you off the hook, but let me just provide some relief today as as I talk because I know that I'm going to be working against our cultural perspectives and about, you know, really our, 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 our fallen nature, our flesh. The reality is is that this is not what you do to gain Christ's approval. All right, wives, this is not how you become a good wife. You are made good by Christ your Savior. The gospel did that work. As the Spirit indwells you, empowers you, leads you, and fills you, He will lead you to remove your eyes from yourself. And so as you submit yourself to the Lord, I believe that you will see yourself submitting to your husband. The reality is, and, and this is an overarching perspective that we're going to take across this whole passage that really extends from chapter chapter 5, verse 21, through verse 33 as Paul deals with marriage. He deals specifically with marriage, husbands, wives, Christian marriage. And truly, even as we deal with parents and children and slaves and masters, as we get into those topics, there is an overarching perspective that I want you guys to gain. I want it to be, I want it to be the, the thing that defines you as a believer. We were created to be interdependent in order that together our lives might glorify God. 
Let me say it again. We were created to be interdependent, that our, our lives together might glorify God. I didn't say independent, which means we don't need one another. We see the teaching of Scripture throughout the teaching of Scripture that that's demonstrated to be false. We cannot, we were never intended to live completely independent of one another. But we were also not intended to be codependent in meaning that we uh, identify or find our source of identity in another person. So if you're so dependent upon somebody that you can't see yourself in existence without them, then you have gone too far. There is an interdependency that you walk in and under the submission uh, in obedience to your Savior while leaning on His power in other people. That's the idea. And that's exactly the perspective that Paul lays out starting with wives. Now, I, I know. <laughs> I already know. I've been thinking about this for, for months now as we've approached this. I know that hearing these words is shocking in our culture. I know that. And there is way more to say today to undo what our culture has done to this then I could. I'm, when I sat down to start preparing this sermon, the Holy Spirit led me another way. I ended up preaching something totally different last week, and I realized that I could continue to do that for about three or four more weeks. I wrote two pages of sermon notes before I even got to this text. As I, I can't continue to do this, we've got to deal with this issue. But what I'm going to do, I want you to know, what I'm going to do is all the resources I've been reading from. I have read more books about this topic. I have read more scripture passage. I have, I have listened to more sermons. I want you to hear this. I will, I will, I, I'm not coming to this uneducated or uninformed, but I'm going to publish that list of resources and I'll put it out in an email so that you can avail yourselves of it and begin to do the work. Today, we are going to deal with what this text says. We're not going to jump all over the scripture. We're not going to, we're not going to be looking at a bunch of different verses and a bunch of different words. We're going to look at this text and strive to understand what Paul is saying in this letter. We're going to ask five questions. We're going to answer five questions that it, that it answers. We're going to answer what wives are called to do, how they're called to do it, why they're called to do it, um, what, how, when, when you're called to do it, and why you're called to do it. And then we're going to close out with just some practical ways, practical implications of how this works out. So we're just going to start. You heard it read. Question number one, what are wives called to do? Well, I think it's pretty clear. I don't, you don't have to be a theologian. To get this, right? Wives, submit to your husbands, to your own husbands. The, the reality is, and, and you can go back and listen to the sermon from last week as we dealt with this word submit and what that meant. I need to move this or I'll be knocking stuff over. <clears throat> um, you can go back and look at what that meant, what it, what it, what it means, but voluntarily, this, this means voluntarily arranging yourself under your husband's authority. The word is hupotasso from the Greek, it, and that's exactly what it means. It's given in the middle voice. It's not an active voice, which means you're forced into subjection. And it's not a passive voice, meaning that you don't have a part to play in it at all. But it is a command for you in the middle voice to voluntarily arrange yourself under your husband's authority. And whether you realize it or not, this was as shocking to the women of Paul's day as it is to you. It's as big a shock in that culture as it is today in ours. You say, well, wait a minute. They lived in a male-dominant culture. Absolutely they did. They certainly did. And women were abused, and they were oppressed, and they were taken advantage of, and they were oftentimes used for, for uh, men's whims. Truth is, it still happens today. It still happens today. 
But the reality is, is that at some level they had no footing or standing to, to, to stand up on. And, and here, here, here Paul comes to them and saying, instead of being forced into this, Christian wives, instead of being forced into this voluntarily, willfully, by your own choice, submit to your husband. That means you quit sitting around with all your wife friends and, and talking about how bad you got it and talking about all the horrible things your husband does to you. Well, that even means that today, probably. It means that, that all of a sudden that, that you're supposed to desire this, that you're to want it, that if anybody's forcing you into it, you're not following the command. See, the reality is, and I actually I learned this as I did this study in Rome, Women were always under the authority of a man. Always. Always. They did have some legal right, and they did have some rights as people. But it was always under the authority of a man. For example, a woman could receive an inheritance in the Roman culture if her male authority said it was okay. You see, so there, and there were some very specific rules, very specific ways that they dealt with this. A woman could apply for a divorce in the Roman culture if her male authority said it was okay. You see, the reality was there was some legal right, but there was never a moment in which a woman was allowed to do uh, something of her own will. It was always expected to be in, uh, under male authority. In Jewish culture of that day, women were, they weren't just dependent upon men. In many ways, they were considered, and I don't think any Jew of that day would have said, I think a woman is inferior to men. But in their practice, it was demonstrated. Case in point, John 8, the woman's caught in adultery. She's dragged out into the street. We have no indication that they even allowed her to dress or anything. She's dragged out into the street and going to be stoned for adultery by herself. Where was the man? You can't commit adultery alone. It takes two. Where was the man? You see, I don't think they would admit to saying, oh, well, we just think women are inferior. It's certainly not the teaching of the Old Testament. But the reality was that in practice, in fact, even today, even today there's a prayer from the, from the Jewish book of prayer that uh, men will pray. And part of it, one of the phrases that they'll say is, blessed be God that you didn't create me to be a woman. Now, <laughs> you can spin that how you like. You can do with it what you want, but it's going to be difficult. Difficult to demonstrate that women are seen of equal value and standing. And here, now I come with the Bible. <laughs> Wives, submit to your husbands. Listen, Paul is not saying that you are to be dominated by your husband. He is not calling you to, to coercion or manipulation or to be oppressed the, the, the intention of his call is, is not to, to push you down into the hole that, that women in many ways in our culture are being allowed to climb up out of to be able to be recognized for, for their valuable, um, their, their, their worth and their, their uh, input and their capability and their wisdom and their insight. He's not coming to this place and saying you have no position or standing. Just keep silent. We don't want to hear from you. He's coming to you and he's saying, as a person who has value before God, who has been saved by the Creator, 
willfully organize yourself under someone else. Specifically, wives, under your husband's authority. The call to submit is a call to step up into God's high call for your, for, or I'm sorry, high, God's high call for you in the kingdom that he suffered and died to establish. This is his call for wives, and this is no small thing. This is not some minuscule role. This is a huge honor that he has a plan for you. Specifically for wives, he has a role and a function for you. And he gave that role to you with your good in mind. To doubt that is to doubt the very good nature of God. Just like, just like he was calling wives of that day to step up out of that oppressive rule of men and voluntarily set themselves selves under God's authority through their husband, he is calling you, wives, today to step up out of the popular culture, its worldly and selfish perspectives of self-rule being the ultimate, submitting in God's kingdom in the role he intends for you, to be kingdom women whose lives and actions match the godly nature that he has established in you through your Savior, Jesus Christ. This is huge. This is big. And instead of being looked at with disdain and being looked at in a way as if it's less important, this is a gift from God for you, wives. To receive it in any other fashion is to deny the goodness that he has in mind for you. The call to submit is more than an action it begins with your attitude. You already kind of get the sense for that. You already can kind of hear it because he's calling you to it voluntarily. It's that middle voice, and it's important that we understand that he is calling you to this. You cannot be forced into this. In fact, if you go home today and you say, well, I got to do what you said because Pastor Seth taught on Ephesians 5.22. I got to do it. You're not doing it. I've forced you into it. If you go home and your husband says to you, look, woman, you heard him. Get my dinner. Call me. Let me talk to him. Because that's not the way it's meant to be. That's not the way it's meant to be at all. You see, the call to submit is more than an action. It begins with your attitude. You can see this more clearly, I think, in, in, the, in the summary. Paul deals with wives, speaks to husbands, talks about the, the importance of Christian marriage, and then summarizes this section in verse 33 this way. He says, However, let each one of you love his wife as himself. Now, husbands, we're going to deal with this kind of stuff after Easter. And I'm going to tell you, it's going to be tough. I will be very direct with you. I'm going to be a little, very sensitive today, but I'm going to be very direct with you. Love your wife as you love yourself. And let the wife see that she respects her husband. That word respect, it's important that you understand what that means and, and understand where it comes from. The Greek word is phobio. Sounds very familiar. I hope. Phobia. I've got a phobia. You probably have phobias, things we're afraid of. But in this context, in the, in the, in the language, in, in, in the midst of it, it's not saying that you should walk afraid of your husband, but it's calling you to respect him, to revere and honor him. 
It's a word that you are to, that, that deals with your motives and your attitudes that move you to action. It's not about being told and forced into this. It's about the Spirit of God doing His work, changing your heart, and you seeing your husband in the role that God has provided, and you offering the respect and honor to that role, not because of how you see your husband, but because of how your Savior sees your husband. You see the difference? Jesus died for him. Jesus loves him. And because Jesus loves you the way he loves your husband, he's doing this in you. This is the same attitude, this attitude of respect and honor. This is the same attitude all Christians are called to exercise towards Jesus. Our wives, husbands, ladies, (laughs) wives are not expected to live in any fashion in which it's not expected of all Christians. You're not doing anything that has already has not already been commanded for all Christians to do. If you go back to verse 21, I don't know if you put it put it on the screen that very first slide. You go back to verse 21. It says submitting to one another out of reverence to Christ. This is Paul speaking to the whole church. The same word submitting is being used. The same word for reverence is being used. Wives, this is just a special way, a special engagement or relationship in which you get to walk in your Christian life. There's nothing that's being expected of you that's not already expected of your husbands. I'm just going to say this in my notes, but husbands, don't expect this of your wives if you're not willing to walk in it first. This is what women are, or this is what wives specifically are called to. Submitting to your own husband. Not submitting to every man. I can't walk up to just any old woman in here and say, Hey, my feet hurt. Would you rub them? Hey, does that work? Will it work? My feet hurt. I'm hungry. I need a cup of coffee. Run and get me a cup of coffee. I can't look at a woman and, and think that she's less than or, or less, that she's invaluable or inferior or incapable or has less wisdom or has less understanding or, more, or less spiritual. That's not what this is about at all. This is about a verse specifically written to wives, calling them and helping them to see how they walk in Christ. Wives, submit to your own husband. That's the call of God for you. (laughs) Well, how? How are wives to submit? As to the Lord. Submit to your husband just like you would to Jesus. See, maybe, (laughs) I don't know, maybe if you were graded on your submission you know, what if Jesus came to you and said, hey, how are you doing on submission to your husband? How, how, how would you answer that? How, I don't know. It's directly related to how you submit to Christ. That's how you do it. You obey your husband in the same way you would Jesus. Now, husbands, don't get a big head. You're not Jesus. You're not a replacement for Jesus. There's not one of us that could think or imagine or, or even fathom to fill that role. 
We are not our wives' Savior, nor are we their God. And your wives know that. And that's probably why it's so difficult for them to submit, or at least in part. But wives, this expectation is not conditional on your husband's value. It's not conditional on how much your husband looks like Jesus. It's not conditional upon any other thing but how much you value and are willing to submit and obey Jesus. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. Why do wives submit? Why, why, why wives and not husbands? Why, why, why did God say wives submit and not husbands submit? Why didn't, why in the wife um, leading the family? Why, why is a husband not the one that's expected to to follow the wife's lead? The husband is the head of the wife, like Christ is the head of the church. Put another way, God, who has all authority. And if it doesn't take your recognition of his authority to, to mean that he has all authority. God has all authority. And he designed it to be this way. Because God said so. How's that? Does that answer the question? Well, yeah, it does, but it's not really helpful. So let's, let's break that out just a little bit. You know, we're willing to recognize authority in so many areas of our life. In, in fact, <clears throat> we recognize that authority is a natural part of the order of the world that we live in. You don't get out on a basketball court and try to play by, the foot, by, by football's rules, right? You get on the court and you play by basketball rules for the most part. You try to sneak an elbow or you, you, know, you charge when you get a chance or you, you try to take a guy. I, we recognize that. We're broken, fallen people. But the reality is we don't play a different game on the basketball court. We play by the rules mostly. When you get in a car, and we established this, uh, this, this last week, when we get in a car, for the most part, we obey the rules, but we recognize we don't always do it. But we know that if we don't obey the rules, serious consequences could follow. We have a job. We obey our boss. May not like our boss. May not want to obey our boss. But we obey our boss. We recognize if we don't obey our boss... We lose our job. We lose our job. We don't get our paycheck. We don't get our paycheck. We don't get all the things we want in the world. But we recognize this. We, we deal with it. But when it comes to the subject of marriage, all of a sudden we begin balking at this idea that God has an intended way that authority flows through this relationship. Now, nobody's going to have a problem with me saying parents should have authority over children. But in this marital relationship, we balk. Our culture is against it. But, but here's the thing. In fact, their argument is going to be, oh, Paul wrote this in a day and age when that's just the expectation. That's just the way it was. That It's the culture. It's a cultural condition. That's not expected for women today. In fact, feminists today would tell you that he would say something different to wives today. But in this entire passage, in this entire argument, Paul doesn't once, doesn't once, speak about cultural norms or what the culture does. But what he does reference is Christ and the church and the authority that our Savior has to command us to live. 
What he does reference, and we're not there yet, but down, down a little later in the passage, what he does reference is the all authority, uh, the, the authoritarian sovereign God of the universe who put things in order in creation. See, what he does reference is first man, first woman, first marriage circumstances and says this is what marriage is supposed to look like. And if you don't think that first marriage, first, first man, first woman circumstances apply to all people, and, that, and it was a different culture even than Paul was writing to, then we're missing it. You see, what he's, what he's appealing to is the very authority of God. <laughs> through the pages of Scripture, all the way through the pages of Scripture, from the very first command to let there be light, to the very last command when the Savior calls His people home, when he dwells among us, when the new city comes down and he removes pain and suffering, when he removes tears and troubles and trials, and when he has overcome death completely, when all of that's done, God still has authority. All the way through the pages of Scripture, his authority is clear. Have you ever read the book of Job? Have you ever heard the story of Job? If you haven't, let me encourage you to go home and read that. But I don't want you to read it trying to figure out what suffering is. See, our, 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 we get it wrong. We go to that book and we talk about suffering. That book is not about suffering. Well, there's a lot of suffering in it. Job suffers greatly. And that's just a subplot. The overarching theme of Job is the rule of our sovereign and authoritarian God who doesn't just command the circumstances of our life, and who doesn't just have the, the creation in his hand, who, very, who commands the very enemies that oppose him. That's the authority of God demonstrated in the book of Job. When Jesus, God of very God, second person of the Trinity, put on flesh and dwelt among us, he didn't walk around asking for our opinions, did he? He commanded and expected obedience. He spoke truth and offered grace with authority. And at the end of Matthew, at the end of his, his time here on earth, just before he ascends into heaven, he says himself, all authority. And just so you get it, that means every bit of it. All authority has been given to me. Go and make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And here's an important piece. Teaching them to obey all that I have commanded you. All authority leads to a command to go and make disciples that are obedient. All through the pages of Scripture, even in this letter to the Ephesians, you cannot escape the authority of God. Paul opens with this, what we called, and I totally ripped this off from somebody else, what we called a waterfall of worship. Just word upon word, stacking upon uh, on itself, just praising God for all of His majesty and beauty. And He comes to this moment in the midst of this, this waterfall of worship, and He recognizes God's sovereign plan to do what He wills by His own choice. And that is what frames the entire letter to the Ephesians. In fact, it's, what's, it's what makes our salvation valuable because God actually has authority to forgive your sin. He actually has authority to give you life. He actually has authority to follow through with what He says He's going to do. 
You see, otherwise, if, he, if you remove his authority, you've got a weak and powerless and impotent God. And I'm going to tell you that is not a God I want to worship. Listen. Why, why did he call wives to submit? Because that's the way he intended it. That's the way he designed it. Authority naturally belongs to God, but is exercised by those he allows within his created order. As it pertains to family, as it pertains to husbands and wives, God has given authority to the husband in order that he might be a servant leader. Not an authoritarian, not a, not a, not a, not a dictator, not a person who gets his own way, but a servant leader just as Jesus leads the church and has authority over the church by his design, husbands have been given authority to be servant leaders in their homes. We, like I said, we're going to deal with that more after Easter. But for now, wives, your husbands are expected by God to exercise authority in a loving way within your marriage. You are not. You are called to submit to God's authority through your husband. When? When are wives expected to submit? In everything. Got one phrase for you here. There is not a moment in your marriage in which your dominant desire should be to get your own way. If it is, you are working against the very Spirit of God. And the Scripture calls you to repentance and to walk in, t- in a different way. All right. Practical applications and implications of, of what Paul has said here. How this works itself out. Things that we need to do in light of it, I think. <clears throat> what, I, what I think it's not is a, is a throwback to leave it to Beaver days. I, I don't think that I don't even remember her name now, Beaver's mom. It's not about you staying at home, wives, staying at home and cooking and cleaning and staying in the house, pregnant and barefoot. That's not what this command is about. This command is not about oppressing you or keeping you from your full potential. Submitting to your husband is following his leadership after you have given your input doesn't remove your voice, doesn't remove your value, your wisdom, your perspective. But in an act of faith to your God and Savior, you trust that he'll lead your husband, even if it doesn't look like it. That's big. Submitting to your husband is following his leadership, even after you've given your input. This is not on the list, but one more thing I don't think it is. It's when you don't get your own way, you go badmouth him to your friends on Facebook as prayer requests in your women's group. One of the most disheartening things for me to hear is your pastor who loves you desperately and dearly is a wife who speaks to her husband with no respect. Not because I think you belittle him, but because I believe you belittle your Savior. And it destroys your gospel witness. But because I also know because God wants the best for you, he has given you this role to walk in. 
rolling your eyes and wondering why in the world God gave you this man is not submitting to your husband's leadership. Looking at him like Jesus looks at him, trusting that God is going to work in him and lead him. Being willing, voluntarily, to give up your own way to go what you now understand would be the Lord's way. That's submitting to your husband. Some further implications that I think are presented in this passage. Submitting to your husband directly reflects how you submit to Jesus. Own that for just a minute. Wise, to obey Jesus, you have to submit to your husband. If you do not submit to your husband, you cannot be obeying Jesus. I know you're thinking, I know, I know what you're thinking. I, I know it. I hear it. I've heard it. He doesn't do anything right. Which translates to, he doesn't do it like I would. Or maybe even worse, he doesn't do it like so-and-so's husband would. Wives, your way may not be the right way. It may not be the best way. And even if it is, out of faithful obedience to your Savior, you are called to follow your husband. Oh, but he, he would never get anything done. You wouldn't believe how much time he wastes and how inefficient he is. Which translates to he won't get what I want done when I want it done. Who's in authority in that statement? Oh, but he's a difficult person to deal with. Seth, you just don't get it. He is harsh and hurtful and hard to deal with. And that could be very true. For too long, men have, men have abused their authority, and they continue to do so. But the reality is you might also consider that he may be difficult to deal with because you are constantly trying to force him to measure up to some standard that you yourself have imposed on him. Your husband might not be as bad as you think he is. Maybe you would see a different husband if you would submit to his leadership. Oh, but Seth, I can't trust him like that. Well, while the damage is already done, you married him. You trusted him enough to say, I do. Now your call is to trust your Savior even more in the midst of this. God is not expecting you to do something that he is not also empowering you for and equipping you for. That's why this teaching comes in the midst of the command to be filled with the Spirit. Because his indwelling Spirit, his power pervades and enables you to this. If you can't trust your husband this way, then you're saying you can't trust God this way. Submitting to your husband's leadership is an act of faithful worship 
and a tangible example of the gospel for your husband, your family, and the world around you. I know it's a difficult task, but it is a high and selfless calling that God has given you. I know myself how difficult it is. I know men. I deal with many men. And I deal with the crap that they do to their wives. I know. But hear me. Hear me. This high and selfless call is about something bigger than even you or your marriage or your husband. It's about your walk before your God. It's about your walk in the gospel before the world that he intends to show the gospel through you. In all my reading, in all my reading, and I did a lot, one book stood out, one comment humbled me as a husband, moved me. And I want to share it with you because I think it speaks to this idea that this is an act of worship. This is an act of humility. It's an act of honoring our great God and King. It's in a book called Disciplines of a Godly Wife written by Barbara Hughes. She's the husband of a pastor. And along their story, there's many struggles about how how they were trying to work this out. She comes to this place where she says, my deepest regrets are for the times when I failed the Lord by not being a respectful and submissive helper. My greatest joys have been the direct results of living in accordance with God's plan for me as a woman made in His image, equal but different. During the time that my husband and I worked to establish a biblical view of success, I sought to answer for myself, what is my goal as a wife? What I decided that day 25 years ago remains the same today. And here's, here's how she would define it. One day, I want to hear God say to Kent, Well done, good and faithful servant. Enter the joy of your master. As Kent's helper in this life, those words will be my joy. For years, I've walked and wanted to hear those words. I've longed to hear my Savior say those words. Enter my rest how humble it is to set ourselves aside so completely that it is not our name we hear him say with honor, but our spouses. Sisters in Christ, we must discipline ourselves. It's not an easy task. It's going to take work. We must discipline ourselves to submit to God's will for our marriage relationships, to live as our husband's helpers, submitting to and respecting their position, gracefully developing a gentle and quiet spirit. This is God's will for you in the gospel. This is God's good will for you. Let's pray. Father, Well, you know, you know what's happening in this room even now. You know how this works against our nature. You know how this, this poses our flesh. I'm just going to trust you to do your work. 
I know your spirit's here. I know he's living in us. Would you, through your kindness, lead us to repentance? We are grateful for it, Father. Grateful for your Son. Grateful for the price that you paid for us. Grateful that we get to walk in your truth, in your light, in your life. Would you now empower us to do that in practical, real-world, everyday relationships between husbands and wives and between your people as your church? So all these things I ask in Jesus' name. Amen.